It's our wrap of the top business stories where we take a look at uh, the latest happenings in the world of money and power. Makwe Masilela is my guest. He's the Chief Investment Officer and Founder at Makwe Fund Managers. Makwe, what's AJ? Makwe? Yes, I can hear you, sir. Good evening. Yes, yes, yes. How are you, sir? I'm perfect, and you? <laughs> well, thanks, Makwe. Uh, probably, I guess, um, yeah. I might be well, but uh, many people in the South African labor market, job seekers, uh, certainly not doing as well as they should, and uh, many more deciding to join the ranks of the discouraged and not economically active. Yeah, and I think starting with the latter, I, uh, we know when we start seeing more people joining, it means at least there's some, they've got some hope that they will mm. at least find something, which in any way is supposed to be an encouraging sign that people are not hopeless. But truth be told, Yes, it did increase from 32.5 to 32.6. But remember, we expected the West, you know, that it will go yeah. as high as almost 33.5. Yes, there's still a lot that we still need to do to make sure that we have a positive dent on this high unemployment. And we know exactly what needs to be done. The question is, maybe we don't have the will, we're taking our time. But yes, it's not a nice situation because any economy, if it's a good mm. economy, and one of the most important indicators is for you to be able to create the necessary jobs and have a decent labor absorption rate. Mm. Makwe, these numbers do give us some clues. I mean, they do give us a sense of, uh, you know, which sectors in the South African economy have uh, shed the most jobs. And one of those that certainly, I guess, piqued my interest earlier on, uh, I must say, has to be the... Um, uh, the uh, domestic work sector, so uh, work, people working in private households. Um, around 70,000 or so, uh, if we compare Q1 2020, just before the onset of uh, the pandemic, uh, to uh, Q1 2021, uh, 70,000 more people out of work, or just shy of, uh, I guess, 15% of uh, uh, all of those who were in domestic work in the first quarter of last year. Yeah, and, and it tells you about generally what is happening with households in fact it talks more about is there still a middle class that we used to talk about that our economy or our democracy has managed to create that because people cannot you know it just becomes too expensive at some point you know so yeah it's very interesting to show you that as much as we might not be taking it serious but it's a very important sector that we should in fact when government talks about protecting it, it's important mm. because it's one of those important sectors which we have to start taking serious and it has a very serious impact on our numbers going forward. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about those who have opted out of the job search. I mean, these numbers, um, as people often say, are, you know, understate the problem uh, because a large segment of those who we would in the percep public perception see as the unemployed um, would effectively be excluded from these numbers. Um, and even the unemployment numbers only including people who have searched for work in the last six months. Um, and yet we know we have a sizable chunk, especially of young people who have opted out of the job search. I think you're right. And we have to revisit and agree which one we, we need to use going forward, you know, because you cannot just work on a number that people have been actively searching for work for the past six months or so. The, I think the broader one, I think that's the one that we need to work with, that it definitely increased to 43.2%. And it just shows you that 
people will try and try, but as human beings, you know, you get to a point where you hit the wall and feel, you know what, I'm giving up. And hopefully things will change and you'll change your mind and start looking again because we need to be honest with ourselves. Any decent human being is looking for a job, doesn't want to leave one hand out. So even if people can say people are lazy, it's a different story, but people need decent jobs so that you can at least have that sense of dignity, be able as well, you know, to start your own life, whether you're going to go and apply for credit or whatever that you want to buy. But yes, it's important and the government just needs to remind itself, their job is not to create jobs but to create an environment that is conducive for investors and businesses to create the necessary jobs. Mm. And I guess that, that's the question. I mean, if, if there was any assessment of, um, you know, uh, the economic reconstruction and recovery program and whether in the short term it's having the desired impact, this is probably one of those things that you would want to be taking a look at as you try and assess that progress. And so far, it doesn't. Because remember, it's well and good, you know, as policymakers, as lawmakers, to say and think whatever that you are designing is right. But listen, you are not designing that for yourself. You are designing that for the general public. And anything that maybe take talks to a particular sector, say in this instance, businesses, you have to make sure that you satisfy us. Because you can have that policy. If we are not happy, Baba, we're not going to put our money in there. We are not. Mm. So make sure that you, I mean, it's just as simple as that, because most of that money belongs to other shareholders. You have to be responsible as well. So it's not a question of I can make some law or policies. It should be a question of I'm making laws that will attract that particular sector that I'm making laws to. In this instance, I'm making the laws to make sure that I'm satisfying businesses so that they can take that money which is sitting at the bank. I remember, there's just so much money which is sitting at the bank. Businesses are not committing mm. now because they're not happy with any other thing. And we're busy talking about foreign direct investments before we can even think about attracting international investors. Local businesses have the necessary cash sitting at the bank, but they're not happy or they're not convinced that they should be putting that money into the economy to start working. And before we know it, we'll see those companies opening mm. some satellites or branches somewhere in Africa, whatever it is, because the guys are cash flush. Look what happened to Sibaya. Sibaya decided to do a share buyback of almost 5%. How much money is that? They could mm. be putting that money into some investment, but Sibaya yes. is responsible, but Sibaya has been responsible to their shareholders that mm. let me reward my shareholders. I'm using that as an example, you know, because it came out today. Sure. But there are a lot of people who are sitting with cash. Check those cash balances that are sitting at the bank. Mm. Makwa, when we talk about some of those constraints to fixed investment and constraints to employment growth, you're referring to, I guess, the broad as much as you're referring to specific things. I mean, if I think about the poultry sector and some of the issues we've seen out in Standerton, uh, where Astral effectively now is going to have to create its own water pipeline and, you know, all, uh, 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 all manner of other things. Um, there's the very basic, I guess, at a local level that before you can even speak about a credible investment strategy, you have to get right. You have to make sure that the roads that go to the factories, uh, you know, are in good shape, the, the lights come on. The water is available when you need it. Um, some of the things that I guess we might take for granted, but uh, certainly it's quite clear in this moment um, need a lot of um, fixing. 
Exactly. And also the red tape, you know. I mean, remember, business people, I, whatever company you're going to open or run, you are an expert in that particular uh, field. You don't have time for mm. these other things. And we all say and agree that small businesses are the ones who are creating most jobs. So take an ordinary small business owner. That guy is an expert when it comes to welding or plumbing or IT, whatever it is. They don't have to be burdened by these other regulatory requirements, you know. Submit mm. this, do that. I mean, they don't have the money to have a fully fledged, say, HR uh, department or a fully fledged tax expert who could be helping them on other things. Simplify things and also governments they have to make sure that they are efficient themselves. We don't have to submit a letter or a document or request, then it sits there for three months. Only when you make a follow-up, they say, okay, we're going to look at it. Stuff like that are very discouraging because these are the people who are uh, maybe experts in welding, whatever sector that they specialize mm. in. They don't have time for smaller and things like that. So we also have to start with ourselves. I think last time the minister was talking about they want to check how much people are earning to try to close the mm. gap between, you know, yeah, intentions are good, but hey, why aren't you telling us that vaccine, that's the first one that you bought, you paid whatever billions, but when you decide to sell it, you don't even have to tell us how much you sold it for. So transparency must not be selective. Sure, 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 sure. Hey, Mark, what? Yeah, this is a tough one, and we know while some investors might be spooked out, uh, it does seem in the aviation sector it continues to attract uh, an interesting array of investors. Um, and uh, one of these now is an investment um, in an airport out in the Winelands that uh, was set up in 1943 during the Second World War for the South African Air Force. I don't know if it was a practice base or one of uh, the emergency landing strips. But uh, it might now be the next Lance area out uh, in the north of um, Cape Town. This is the kind of investment we're talking about. It just shows you that project is going to cost you billions. It just shows you how many millionaires are sitting there, or billionaires are sitting there who own small aircrafts, who've got a private jet. Those people have the necessary money. So mm-hmm. if things are okay, if things open up, people get the regulatory approval. Look at that project itself. Should it come to fruition? We're talking billions. The number of jobs that will be created, the amount of money that the government will collect from company tax to VAT to the most important one is pay as you earn. So those are the kind of things that can still be done in South Africa. And as we are saying, no one ever thought of something like that. But that's been very clever. And people have done the market study, realize that, Mm. hey, there's a market here for these kind of things. And we hope they don't get to be frustrated by the environment that they realize is not conducive. Yes, it's a good thing. And yeah, we know we're going to have some issues here and there. But for now, I think those are the kind of things that will help our economy to grow. Mm. Yeah, it looks like a fascinating development here. I mean, with uh, shops, a drone port, um, you know, a landing strip and uh, places where you can park your plane. Uh, I don't know what they call that. Um, and, and we sitting, call, we call them what do they call it, Marco? Not we call them hangers. We, we call them hangers. Oh, that's okay. what that's, hangers. That's where we hang our plane. Halala. Okay. Marco, how much capital does one need here? I mean, when you talk about creating hangers, a drone port, you know, fully stocked out, decked out uh, stores, um, changing your landing strip from concrete to asphalt. Sounds like a lot. 
Definitely it's a lot. I mean, I don't see anything less than 4 billion, even though you'll do that in phases. Because number one, here you are catering for people who want nice things, who want quality things. Because someone who owns a private jet, you know, definitely they know what they want. And they're comparing that, you know, with other play areas. And also you need to attract the right people to be able to use it. I might be wrong, but I don't see anything less than 4 billion rands that has to be invested in this whole thing. Remember, there's also an issue of electricity supply, and I think they also want to do it as a green airport kind of a thing. And we know that the green economy or the energy thereof doesn't necessarily come cheap. So, yes, we are talking decent billion that needs to be invested. Hmm. Decent billions, you say, in dollars or rand? B B I yes B I in rand or dollar in rand terms. Okay, at least Akfan Akfan. Akfan. Yeah, yeah, no, go ahead. Akfan Akfan. Yeah, I was saying, Makwe, if, if it was a billion dollars, it would certainly be an entirely different conversation. Um, but that being can, said, Makwe, yeah, yeah, it can easily get there because it depends what you wanna do over the faces. It can easily get there. And actually they did come out to this company saying, you know, the first thing that they need to fix is that runway because then at least they'll have a very a much clearer sense of, um, you know, what some of the other stuff will cost if they can fix that runway because effectively you don't have an airport if you don't have a runway. Definitely. And that, because that's what tells you that what needs to be done because Basically, that's the, the long and short of an airport, how smooth mm. it is, how long it is, you know. We've got a wasted runway sitting somewhere in Mabatu. Apparently, that's the longest runway that we have. Hence, people have been using it for training purposes. So I'm trying to emphasize... Yeah, Mangope. That, huh? Mabatu Airport is called... Mangope one. Mabatu Airport. Yes, I'm saying Mangope is one. Lucas Mangope. Oh, yes. yes. It's got one of mm. the best runways. Even other people are using that for training. And it happens to be mm. one of the longest. So runway wow. is very critical. Makwe, give us some of the context here to the African bank story. Now, we're talking about the uh, bank turning a profit. Um, it was the first set of numbers Kennedy Pungani had put out. But as I was saying to our guest then, that these were effectively Basani Maruleke's numbers. Uh, and a far cry from the bank that was, I guess, in curatorship a few years ago. And it seems now that the Saab is saying, well, if you're turning a profit, maybe it's time for us to exit. And also remember that the conflict in, of interest, you know, you cannot mm. be a 50 percent shareholder as the central bank and then also become a regulator at the same time. But we understand why they got involved then, you know, in 2016, when they were bailing them out and then other commercial banks also came into play and put the other part of the money. But yes, then African banks, the way it, their business model, it was bound to fail because they only had the one main revenue stream, which is this whole thing of doing loans. And remember mm-hmm. then the likes of Capitec came into play, took some of the market share from them. Then it became like a challenging environment for them. But since then, and as you are saying, we can give credit to Ms. Malileke by also trying to establish other revenue streams to make sure that it continues to be sustainable going forward. And yes, mm-hmm. we hope that Bongani as well, you know, will continue to build on what Ms. Malileke managed to start. But I think 
the Reserve Bank is making the right decision. And also, I think we should see this as a good opportunity, as all of us have been talking that we need a black-owned bank, we need a government-owned bank. Probably this 50% could be bought by a consortium, which is mainly black, as a start to have at least a serious presence when it comes mm. to the banking industry. Because I see this as another opportunity. How much did the Reserve Bank put in? Around $5 billion or so. Is the Reserve Bank operating to make profit? I don't think so. So I don't even expect them to try to make good money at all. That mm. deal. So it should be something which is fair value. And maybe Tito gave us a hint. Remember at some point he mentioned that, yeah, African bank, it might be a good start for a state-owned bank. I don't know whether he was just treating or whatever, or he meant business. But on a serious note, this gives you an opportunity for blacks to get involved in that space. Hmm. I, I, are you looking to, to get involved here, Marco? I mean, in a mild matter, isn't it? Um, yeah, I, uh, I, unless, <laughs> I, are, you, are, you, are you happy to take the job as our spin doctor? I'll, I'll be delighted to, Marco. I would be delighted to. <laughs> Um, and may, and maybe I can still moonlight here. I, I don't know. <laughs> no, but on a serious note, I think it, it presents a very good opportunity, you know, because now the bank has been turned around, as you are saying, the numbers are no look, looking too bad. And yeah, something mm. can be worked out. And remember, if they're selling 50%, you don't have to try to buy the whole 50%. You can buy anything decent, uh, anything around 30%. Then you know whatever decisions that have to be made by the board will definitely be consulted, especially on the main decisions, you know, because some of these, they require anything more than 75%. Mm, mm. Aish. Marco, yeah, this one is going to be an interesting one and we'll certainly be following it closely. By the way, who are the other investors? Because we, we sort of we've we've got, got the sound. We've got commercial banks also here, yeah. put in their money, but those ones went for the good bank as well. Isn't that also a conflict? I mean, I would think that if you have a sizable stake in one of your competitors, that uh, is some semblance of a horizontal arrangement thing. At some point, now we can say that, but then it was not. It was a necessary thing because, remember, the guys got involved in a way of trying to bail out so that they don't have a failure when it comes to another bank in the industry. Mm, mm. Makwe, let's take a look now at uh, some of the numbers that came through from Alexander Forbes. Now, now they've been quite busy. Um, what with, uh, I guess, you know, the news uh, sometime last year or the year before uh, of the sale of the short-term insurance business. Um, and uh, I guess that certainly had some implications for uh, the, this set of numbers uh, as a once-off item. Uh, but talk to me, I guess, about some of the other elements of their business um, uh, and how those um, are intended to perform. We saw earnings uh, expected there to grow uh, anything, I guess, from zero to just the start of double digits. Your assessment of this business? I think the guys are not too, doing too badly. They, their model mm. was not right for them then, because if you look at earnings coming from total operations, they show you a negative, you know, of almost 65%. But if you look at continuing operations, as you said, it should be an increase of anything between 0 and 10. And their strategy, you know, to make sure that they really become a, a one-stop shop when it comes to investment solutions, because that will help them going forward and stop competing on the other part of the financial world, you know, like short-term stuff like that. As you said, they managed to sell it. But these are the guys that can give good advice or most of the pension fund trustees rely on them 
to come and say this is what needs to be done with your funds will also help you to make sure that whoever wants to come and manage those funds as a fund manager, mm. we assess them, they're credible, they've got a good record, and whatever targets and mandate we gave them, we make sure that they manage those funds within that particular mandate because trustees mm. end up using investment consultants like them to guide them as we know that some of the trustees might not have a good grasp when it comes to the investment world. But they are doing a very mm. important job. And we hate them because we call them the gatekeeper. Mm. But, uh, Makwe, I mean, we know this uh, entity has a combination of, you know, uh, historically pension funds, administration business, that short-term insurance business as well. Uh, and we know those sectors have been largely hit by COVID-19, much higher than expected mortalities, much higher than expected claims, one would think, of course, uh, mm-hmm. on the back of layoffs and retrenchments uh, across the real economy. How has that influenced Alexander Forbes, if at all? It does, but that's in the past because COVID happened. Yeah, because they, yeah, they're no longer, I guess, in the insurance space. Yeah. Yes, and that's in the past. But going forward, and I think, remember, we like to invest in a company going forward that have you learned mm. your lessons, have you changed your strategies, what are you going to be implementing to make sure that you become more co- co- competitive, let alone the mm. issue of cost saving, because everyone can do that. But the thing is, what is it that you have in place to be able to grow, you know, organically? And I think whatever they've tried to do so far, it puts them in a good position, at least, you know, to start to be able to breathe. And I think with all fairness, it will be wrong for anyone to expect any company to start shooting out the lights, especially coming from the period that we are coming from. Hmm. Yeah, it's uh, certainly going to be an interesting one here, Makwe. But, um, I mean, let's just talk your, your assessment over the last while of just the performance of that leadership team. A lot of musical chairs happening at that level. Uh, I mean, you said earlier they've done well, but um, I guess you probably didn't go as far as saying, you know, they have the potential uh, or your expectations are that they'll blow the lights out? Yeah. Leadership issues, we know the guys have always have had issues. You know, they've never ran mm. out of being in, in, into controversies. You know, we can go as back as the days of more or stuff like that. But shooting out the lights, I don't think so. But yes, being able to start maybe giving a decent return on investment, anything just about 15 or anything between 15 and 25%, I think, yes, they have the potential if they implement the strategy. Because remember, so far, is everything on paper. We, they still have to prove to us that whatever strategy they said they're going to implement, whether it's going to be implemented fully and after being implemented, what are the results? And so far, we seem to be buying their story or maybe we seem to be saying, let's give the guys a chance to see whether they will be able you know, to deliver. Remember, with us, it's hot money. If we don't deliver, at the click of a button, we sell. Hmm. Yeah, hey? money in, money out, fast money, hot money. Makwe? Hmm. Let's leave it there, brother. It's always a pleasure catching up with you. And thank you very much for your time. Pleasure. Awesome stuff. That there is Makwe Masilela, Chief Investment Officer and Founder at Makwe Fund Managers, helping us uh, with our wrap of the top business stories. We're going to take a brief break. When we come back, uh, our Village and Township Economy series continues in our SMME exchange. And this evening, we go to the freight and logistics sector. Lebo M. Kuria is my guest. And uh, that is a business owned and operated by its founder, Lebo Moelua. 
and uh, going to be speaking to us about the work they do uh, in delivering parcels, I understand, and uh, 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 10 kilograms in Gauteng, Whitbank and Rustenburg, a business that started all the way out in Mokwase there in Mokonebo Pirima.